The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, Sabrina Nanji is here with Queen's Park Observer. Bob Reed, principal at BroadwayStrategy.com and the man behind Touchdowns and Fumbles, heard Fridays on the Jerry Agar Show. Marco Mendicino is the MP for Eglinton Lawrence. And uh, Marco, are you shaking in your boots over Karen Stins? <laughs> I know, Karen. Uh, look, anybody that steps or is willing to step into public life uh, deserves our uh, respect. Um, so uh, she's got to go through the nomination process. I'm focused on continuing to deliver for the good people of Eglinton Lawrence. Okay. Well, and actually, that kind of leads to something I wanted to ask you about on the panel today, and that would be, are you guys going to pony up for the city of Toronto? We're in our budget gyrations, and, you know, this is a very, very liberal city. Almost every single MP is a liberal, and you guys have been kind of sitting on your hands. Well, I think we spoke about this last time, uh, John. Look, the federal government has been a solid partner uh, to the city of Toronto. Over uh, $5.5 billion since we've been elected. Uh, We've been there on housing. uh, We've been there on climate change. uh, And we have been there on immigration and refugees. And I know that that the finance minister, Christia Freeland, has had some uh, good discussions with the mayor. And, um, you know, I'm confident that we'll... We'll see something done, um, but I think what the people of Toronto should should know and, and feel optimistic about is that the federal government has and will continue to be a good partner. Auto insurance rates are projected to climb again this year. Bob Reed, I'll start with you. It's staggering to think how much of the premiums we're paying are being handed out to compensate for stolen cars. And I get it. We're making some progress in fighting car thievery, but not that much. I see the feds have uh, a a summit meeting coming up on this with the major insurance providers. And I think that's a good thing because uh, I want to see some action taken on this. I've been reading the stories like we all have time and time again about waves of car thieves, about how they steal them out of your driveway, about how they end up on shipping containers going out of ports overseas. Uh, I want some answers on that. Why, Why does it seem to be endemic in Canada? and not so much anywhere else. So uh, that sounds to me like there are things that other countries are doing that we're not, or at least there are some learnings that we can take on. And I'm also really curious about exactly what happens in the ports. Like how do you in Montreal put three container loads of high-end vehicles onto a ship and nobody seems to ask questions about that. If they do, again, I want to know why, because all of this cumulatively, this is what the insurance uh, providers are now pointing to, are saying theft is going to be one of, is one of the leading factors in the coming premium hikes. I'm tired of it. Do something. Sabrina, most people sort of, you know, sweat a bit and think, what can I do to avoid my car being stolen? But you don't have to have your car stolen. We're all getting punished for this. Yeah, um, auto insurance is everyone's favorite stretch goal at at Queen's Park. Um, I I know that uh, Doug Ford is going to be up with uh, the the feds momentarily in just a few minutes uh, to announce more money um, to combat this. They'll be up with uh, police representatives, too. So I I think that's good. But to Bob's point, we kind of need to get to the the root of this. Um, My sources in and around the Ford government are saying that these long-awaited reforms to auto insurance um, will be coming in the spring budget. 
which we're expecting sometime in March. But I'm not really holding my breath because this is something that they've promised to take action on in the past. And they really only just tinkered around the edges. I think absolutely um, dealing with the increase in carjackings is going to um, affect this. But I'm waiting to see, you know, what else the Ford government does, because up until now, they've pretty much let the industry, you know, go it alone and and, uh, just sort of be a bit more autonomous and giving breaks to motorists. But clearly that's not been enough. So we might see them introduce more regulations around how these companies can bring in rate increases. Marco Mendicino, your thoughts? Yeah, it's a huge problem. I think there were something like 10,000 vehicles stolen in 22. It's gone up in 23. Um, And that is having an impact on insurance. Um, I think there was over a billion dollars in insurance claims um, last year. And so that's an issue that hits the pocketbooks. I think to solve the problem, we've got to do a few things. First, I I agree with Bob. You do got to tackle the issue at the border. and, And that's one of the reasons why. Um, you know, my former role, we announced uh, over $450 million for CBSA. But I think in addition to that, um, you got to support local police. Um, and so Toronto Police Service, York, Durham, like all the local police services that are there on the ground need uh, the personnel uh, and the resources to uh, bust up the rings. And I, I do think that uh, police do deserve a shout out for the progress that that they've made. And then I think the third thing is you got to get manufacturers to tackle the issue on the front end. And so I do think uh, looking at what their technological capabilities are to um, ensure that GPS remains uh, enabled uh, so they can be tracked is is one thing. You know, I, I'll say I live in a part of Toronto where there is no safe SUV in a driveway. Um, I've had friends who've had multiple vehicles stolen. I actually had one uh, guy who was able to uh, track uh, his vehicle uh, to the country where it was stolen. And the small guilty pleasure that he had was um, uh, having the alarm go off in the middle of the night, <laughs> just as 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 a way of, of getting back at the at the thieves. But, you know, it shouldn't come to that. And so I think by doing those things that I've talked about, um, we can we can make some progress. What do we make of the fact that it's actually a debate about whether or not there should be school on the day of a solar eclipse? And uh, Sabrina Nanji, the uh, largest school board in Canada, which is Toronto District School Board, is going to deliberate this today. I just I don't see the difference of kids being in school or out of school during an eclipse. Yeah, I mean, I don't see what difference it makes if they're walking home from school or if they have the entire day off. Uh, if they're going to look up, they're going to look up. I I guess I can understand a little bit about it being a potential liability, but that also seems like a stretch. It's not like there's going to be an extra day off um, or anything like that. So my thing is that this is a missed opportunity. I mean, why not turn this into an educational experience? Like, imagine you're sitting with your classmates crafting a viewer from an old cardboard box and some paper, learning about this rare cosmic event, and then you all get to, you know, watch it safely together. I think this is just another swing and a miss from the TDSB. Yeah, Marco Mendicino, it just seems, you know, don't look at the sun. Yeah, blinded by the light, as the song goes. But uh, (laughs) um, I, but no, I'm I'm, with Sabrina on this. I, I do think that there is an opportunity to educate um, and certainly, uh, you know, I can recall going to, to school on, on days where there were uh, eclipses. But, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, taking up the, the, the school board's uh, cause for just a moment, I mean, there are some liability issues. And I do think that 
uh, through the pandemic, we were able to leverage technology and Zoom. And just on the general rule of thumb, you know, you do want to stay indoors. You don't want to be uh, exposed to this, the direct sunlight. And so I can see where they're coming from. But I do think there are some uh, opportunities that could be used to educate young people about uh, the risks. And Bob Reed, uh, your quick thoughts. I don't know if this rises to the threshold of touchdowns and fumbles, but it just seems like such a ridiculous debate. Actually, to me, it's a no-brainer for the school boards. Uh, I, I don't know why they wouldn't take, uh, why Toronto uh, TDSB wouldn't fall in line with the six other Ontario school boards that have already taken this step, because it does come down to liability. Plain and simply, at the end of the day, it, it's a function of the time the eclipse is going to be hitting and how that corresponds with the time that kids would be leaving school, would be on their way home. And it simply comes down to who's who has uh, uh, supervision of the kids at that point? Is it the schools or is it the parents? And the schools, I think, are taking the smartest possible role by saying, parents, this one's on you. If your kids look up and go blind, they weren't under our care at the time. <laughs> it's on your ticket. Okay. Yeah. Um, 65% of Canadians, according to a poll, feel pressured to leave a tip and leave a bigger tip because of the way they get prompted on credit card machines. And Marco Menachino, there's a few angles here. One of them being that increasingly we're being asked to tip on things you never tipped on in the past. Yeah, and I think this comes down to fairness and, and getting a decent livable wage. And, you know, I think from the the customer's perspective, it's it's a bit of the, the randomness or the arbitrariness of it. Um, and the way that, you know, when you show up uh, to pay for something, you've got options that uh, take you to a percentage that that may just stretch your pocket too much. So there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot to be said for looking at what I think is the, the real underlying issue here. And that is making sure that, you know, folks who uh, work in the hospitality industry, whether they're waiting or at a restaurant, um, or, or elsewhere are getting that decent wage. And, and I think that's something that, that needs to continue to be addressed. Well, and it's a valid point, Bob Reed. I always resent the idea of being asked to tip somebody who's working like in a fast food restaurant. I think if they're not paying their employees enough, why is it up to their clients to top them up? Yeah, fair. And and really, it's up to the client to make the decision. I, I love how Canadian we are that we get intimidated <laughs> by a pin pad. <laughs> that that's, 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 that's a point of, of outrage. Actually, sometimes I don't mind the, the prompt for a tip uh, because it's, it's, it's kind of a reminder that, okay, I'm not dining in this restaurant, but I'm grabbing takeout. They've prepared the food. Uh, my order's ready promptly. Sure, I'll give a little bit for that. Uh, I, I don't uh, like it, and I don't opt to tip when, like you, John, when it's a, when it's sort of a retail transaction, and all somebody behind the counter has done is ring up my bill and hand me the item. Then no, I'm I'm not going to tip for that. But uh, having having the option doesn't bother me, and being able to say no doesn't bother me either. Sabrina, the other aspect of this whole thing is when the prompts come up, people don't want to look cheap, so they they tend to be tipping more now than they would have in the past. Do we have Sabrina? Have we lost Sabrina? Okay, well, we're going to have to send her a tip then. All right, listen, let's, uh, let's keep on moving here. And uh, what do we make of BC employers who are suing workers for quitting without required notice? Bob Reed. 
In principle, I can understand it because uh, the employee, if not given two weeks notice, if you're if you're walked out the door, you are automatically entitled to compensation for that compensation in lieu of notice. And if it's in the contract that that works both ways, I think as a principle, that's just fine. That that seems to be, uh, you know, sauce for the goose and the gander. In practice, as we've seen, there are two cases that have gone before the Small Business Tribunal in BC. And in both cases, they've said, no, uh, the employer is not entitled to compensation. They say they agree with the principle, but they say in practice, there's been no proven harm, no proven uh, cost to the employer that requires the compensation. So I'm with it in principle. I think it will be difficult in practice. Marco, a lot of the cases I've seen seem to involve younger workers and people keep floating the idea that young people have no loyalty anymore. And so that would be one of the many reasons they'd say, screw you, I'm out of here right now. Yeah, John, I think you make a good point. And and certainly uh, in our lifetimes, we've seen um, an evolution in, in in the workforce in that, you know, it used to be you could keep, keep a job for 5, 10, 15 years, sometimes your entire uh, professional career. Uh, whereas now you've got the gig economy and a lot of individual work, uh, individuals who are just going out and contracting. And I think that uh, that loyalty is part of it. Um, I agree with, uh, with what Bob said, which is that, um, you know, one, it'll come down to what's in the contract. Uh, and as somebody who practiced law, um, you know, that's about ensuring uh, fairness and and, and, and that there's a, a good, clear understanding about what the expectations are around notice. I also think it'll come down to the specific case. Um, you know, uh, Bob mentioned there are two cases. You can see how um, a court could find or a judge could find that with a large employer, there's no effective harm. But let's say you're a startup. Let's say you're a scrappy startup uh, and you've got just, you know, five employees. Um, somebody decides not to give any notice. That could have a real impact. And and so in an economy where, you know, small to medium sized businesses are a, a good part of the engine of the way in which we create growth and opportunity, you could see how a court in a different case might say, no, actually, there was harm here. So I think both in terms of the theory and the principle, it makes sense that these types of things are negotiated on the front end uh, with contracts so that the employee and the employer are on the same footing. Um, and it probably is good in the long run for the economy to, to have transparency about that. Thank you all. Good to have you, Marco Mendocino, Bob Reed, and the now absent Sabrina Nanji. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.